Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Uh, we are going to land the plane officially on the Colossians series this morning. So I'm going to read uh, our portion of scripture here in just a moment. But before we do that, I just want to give you guys an update on what's going on with faith in action. If you've been around for a little while, you know that faith in action is our yearly tradition where uh, come the, the week before Thompson School District goes back to school, we get in and we have a day where we actually shut down our Sunday service. So we don't have any church on Sunday morning here in the building. But we actually take our, take our church out into the community to serve in some different places. And primarily what we've tried to do is we've tried to really be involved over at Mary Blair Elementary School and Comball Middle School. And so we obviously could not do that last year with, because of what was going on with COVID. And then this year, as we looked to p- like plan and prepare uh, a massive volunteer day, the schools were still not even clear as we were needing to plan what their policy was going to be for having volunteers on a campus. And so they were still kind of nailing down how many people and what we could do. And, and we just said we had to have details before we sent hundreds of people their way uh, as far as to abide by kind of their protocols. And so what we are going to do is we're, we're not going to do faith in action as we have done it in years past this year. And so I just want to let you know that's a, that's a this year statement. We hope to be uh, involved back doing that again starting next year. Uh, but what we're not going to do is we're not going to shut down a service in August and go out and serve. What we are going to do here in a couple weeks is I'm going to talk about uh, how we are going to be involved serving our city this fall. Because there have been several opportunities that have come up that already existed where we can get involved in our community. Because the, the heartbeat behind Faith in Action is not that we would just go out and have a day where we serve and we feel good about ourselves, but the hope and the aim of Faith in Action is that even though we sit in here and we talk about how much we love our city and we love being in this city, we want our city to know who we are. And so it's kind of always been this phrase that Kent's used, like if your church closed its doors next weekend, would, would anyone in the community actually know? And that's what's, what's, what's compelled us to go out and to serve, to make sure people know the name of Good Shepherd by the way that we represent our church and serve our community. And so we're still going to have opportunities to do that. And we'll be talking more about that in a couple of weeks. But I just wanted to give you guys an update because this is usually when we start talking about faith in action. Cool? Super cool? Anyone? I thought somebody would maybe have a super cool in there. It just kind of felt like the moment, you know? Thank you, Teresa. All right. I had to buy that one. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. Uh, Go ahead, if you would, would you stand with me? We're going to read Colossians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. And um, we were going to have maybe a student read and share a little bit about desperation. We'll hopefully do that in a coming week. But for this week, I'm just going to read. There's a lot of names in this one. Some of them are very hard to pronounce. I might pronounce them wrong. So I figured I'd just let that be on me rather than a scripture reader this morning. Cool? Super cool. All right, here we go. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, what? Jesus? Nope, psych, a different guy. Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. 
For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. You guys can have a seat. So the tempting part, I think, in the, in the message today, in the passage that we're in today, is, is that it feels very much like a standard Paul outro to one of his letters. Like he, if, you, if you go read almost any of his letters, he kind of ends with this sort of like final instructions or greet these people. It's kind of like if I was writing a letter, I'd say, hey, tell my wife I love her. Give my kids a hug and a kiss for me. You know what I mean? It'd be, it'd be these kind of just basic instructions. And, and the temptation is to kind of think, oh, okay, we've, we've blitzed through all the important stuff in Colossians, and now we're just kind of here for the final send-off greeting. And if we take that mental approach, what we're going to miss today is that Paul has a lot in these passages that he reveals to us about how he approaches relationship. Paul is a deeply relational person. He wasn't on Instagram. He wasn't on Twitter keeping track of all these people just on his newsfeed. He knew these people. He ate with these people. He cared about these people. He, he toiled for them in his prayers. He, he like he spent time, energy, thinking about them, writing to them. And, and this is just, it's not how we operate today. We don't operate with this great awareness of all the people that we've impacted and been with throughout. But Paul, Paul keeps track because he's relational. He cares deeply about people. People are, are at the focal point of what he's doing with his ministry. He's ministering the gospel to people. And so he cares greatly. And so with, with what we can glean from this today is not just a simple like, well, here's some of Paul's just kind of last instructions. Like, don't you just kind of love the last one that he says here in verse 17? He says, oh, and hey, say to that dude Archippus, Austin version, right? Is, is a, he says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Like he just kind of calls this one guy out in the church and gives him some instruction. But even in that, I think we have stuff that we can glean how Paul values Christian relationship. Because here's the deal. Like the, the world looks a certain way relationally right now. There's a lot of just relationships that, that are had because they're very transactional. Well, what does this person uh, give me? How do they make me feel? What can I give to them? How can I contribute to them? Um, over the last year and a half, I think, I think relationships in a big way have been exposed, if that's the right word that we could use. Where a lot of people are feeling lonelier than ever before. They're realizing they had less friends than they thought. Maybe for some of you, it was just the, the inability to reach and to sit with and to talk to people has been detrimental. I was reading an article that was citing a source from the Harvard Medical Journal that said uh, loneliness is the equivalent to your health. It's, it's as bad for your health as smoking 13 cigarettes a day. Now, listen, I don't know how they came up with 13 rather than 15 versus two, like uh, that's just my undergrad talking. Like, I don't know the difference between all that, but it's like, they said, if you smoke 13 cigarettes a day or you're lonely, same, same situation for your health. It's detrimental to your happiness. Loneliness is detrimental to your mental health and function. And loneliness is detrimental to your physical health as well. It's, it's, it is as risky for heart disease as is smoking. And so loneliness is, is real. And, and I think we've felt it this year. And so, so I want to just ask the question this morning, can we kind of inventory our friendships, our closest relationships? And ultimately, can we ask the question, do my closest relationships, do they steer me where I'm wanting to go in my life? In my life. 
So the first one that Paul unpacks for us, the first value that we see that Paul has for Christian friendships is he has, he has dear friends. He says in, in verse 7, he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, and he's a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. So he's got this, he's got this buddy. Like he's got this guy that he's rolling with. Tychicus, in my mind, he's just this guy who's like, his answer's like, we can do that. Hey, we, Paul, listen, we can get that done. Nobody else is going to this city, Paul. We can do it. We can go. We can serve together. He's a faithful servant of a beloved brother. He's just with him. He's in it with him. Do you have people in your life who are just, who are with you, who are going to go with you, who are going to be with you, who are going to like just go on the journey together? He also references, I think some of these other people he would qualify as dear friends in Colossians 4.14, going down the list a little bit. He, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Here's what's interesting about Luke. Luke writes two books in the New Testament. He writes Luke and he writes uh, the Acts of the Apostles, right? So Paul gets all the credit for writing most of the New Testament because he wrote like 13 books. But, but Luke, like words-wise, writes almost as much as he does. He contributes a lot. And Luke is listed just as a physician. Paul's the apostle. Luke is listed as a physician. Here's why I'm bringing this up. Because Luke is not a professional pastor. He's a doctor. And Paul was probably really glad to have him around, right? He, he'd go to some city and he got beat up and thrown in jail. And guess who was always there? Luke. He's like, man, come on, let me stitch you up again. Like he was this, he was a healer for him. He actually brought vitality and physical health back into, his, into Paul's life after he'd been beat up and thrown in jail, put in chains. Do you have somebody in your life who's just willing to say, hey, man, you've been beat up a little bit. Come in here. Can I just encourage you? Can I just use my words to pick you back up? Can I, can I just be with you for a little bit and help you heal? Luke was with him. And, and Luke, listen, Luke is not, he's not a professional pastor. He's not paid for ministry. And yet he's, he's building the kingdom of God as a physician, as you are as a teacher, as you are as a mechanic, as you are as a plumber. Do you get the point? Whatever you're doing, you, you have things to contribute to the kingdom of God. It's not just my job to build the kingdom. It's our job as the church to push this ball forward. So there's Luke, the beloved physician, and there's this guy, Demas. Demas, I wish we had all the time to like unpack the few times he shows up in the New Testament. But Demas is mentioned here as someone who's rolling with Paul, doing the ministry with Paul, contributing to the ministry with Paul. But then Demas, Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as he's doing his greeting there, his final greeting there, he writes that Demas has walked away from me as he's fallen in love with this present world. So here's what I need you to know about Demas is that Demas, one of his buddies, one of his best friends was the Apostle Paul. And yet he kept one foot, he kept one part of his heart in this world, and then he put another part of his heart uh, in the gospel of the kingdom. And that love for the world was so strong that not even his friendship with Paul could keep him on course. And you got to hear it on the other side too, that, that Paul was, was Demas' best friends. There's no way that he didn't have conversation with him. What, what are you doing? Stick with me. Let's go. And so some of your friends are going to walk away from the Lord and there's nothing that you can do about it. Like you're not the Holy Spirit. You can try and you can encourage and you can love, but you are not ultimately responsible for other people's salvation. The apostle Paul couldn't even keep Demas on track. And so like this is where we just ought to be, we have to be careful because what Colossians is painting for us thus far in the letter is it's trying to say to us, hey, listen, Jesus needs to be Lord over everything. He is preeminent. He is before. He's greater than. He's more worthy than everything else. And you can't just take your faith and make it one of the things that are a part of your life. He's saying, no, Jesus needs to infiltrate 
every area of your heart, every area of your love, every area of your devotion, he needs to be involved. It's not just, it's not just my time that I give him on Sunday mornings. He, he's involved over, he's Lord over all my finances. He's Lord over all of my time. He's Lord over all my decisions. He is Lord of my life. That's what Colossians is trying to tell us so far, is that Jesus is Lord. That's what Paul sets up in the first couple chapters. And then he goes into, because he's Lord, this is the way that you ought to live. You ought to live with a, with a steadfast resiliency to say, no, I'm going to live my, with my mind set on heaven, with my gaze fixed on Jesus, and I'm going I'm to try and pull the culture of heaven down rather than push the culture of heaven or the, push the culture of the world up onto who he is. And so I'm going to put to death what is still earthly in me. I'm going to put to death what is still uh, sinful in me. And I'm going to try and walk into the life that Christ has in his law and in his rule and in his ways. And that's going to usher in life life to the full. And as I do that, this is all review what we've been through for the last couple of weeks that Paul is going to say, and once that gospel gets into you and it starts to transform your heart, it's always, always, always going to come out of you in the way that you live your life. And so the gospel in you is now going to start to get out of you in your home, in your marriage, with your kids, with your roommates, with the people that you work with, the people that you see, that you interact with outside of work. The gospel is going to come out of you with the way that you treat people and the way you love one another. And so now here we get to this last verse and we're seeing that Paul's encouraging us, the, the, the environment, like the milieu that we're gonna, we're gonna live in in our Christian faith is gonna be practiced in relationship. It, it's, it's just covered in relationship. We have all these people. We have beloved brothers. We have people who we're walking with. And so here's the, here's how do we find beloved brothers? That would be the question for this first part, right? How do we, how do we find a guy like, how do we find a guy like Luke who will just hang with us? How do we find a guy that'll just roll with us, Tychicus, that'll be with us through thick and through thin? And the way that you do is you don't just look for similarities and things that you kind of do together. Like we're always going to drift towards uh, people who we have the most things in common with. So our natural friendships are going to lend themselves towards people who vote like us, who are in the same income tax bracket that we're in, who are, who are uh, living in the same neighborhood, doing the same kind of things on the weekends. Like we're just going to drift towards those people, but it takes intentionality to say, no, I want friends who are going to help me live my life in pursuit of Jesus. The drift is always going to be towards our preferences, the things we like to do, but it takes intentionality to steer ourselves to make sure we have dear brothers and sisters in our lives who are going to keep pushing us forward towards Christ. That's what makes a dear friend. Here, Solomon has some things to say. Wisest guy in the world. He says this in Ecclesiastes 4. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. What he's saying is you gotta have friends. You gotta have friends, not people who just like, like to play softball like you like to play softball. I have friends that I hang out with because I just like to play softball. And listen, we beat foundations this week in our softball game. And so it was awesome. But mostly what makes like those guys on the team dear brothers is that we're following after Jesus together. Like we have a vision for our life that says, no, I, I want to glorify and I want to make much of his name in my life. That's what I want to do. And that makes a dear friend. I, I have friends that I know they're going to pick me up when I fall. I have friends that I know that when I, when I slow down, they're going to spur me along. I have friends that when I, when I start to get tired, they're going to speak truth into my life. They're going to hold me accountable. They're going to say, nope, let's keep going. They're going to push me. They're going to pull me sometimes if they need to. They're going to be the, the Samwise Gamgee in my life that says, I, I can't carry the ring for you, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. That didn't come out in first service, but as Lord of the Rings reference for you there. 
We need some friends in our life. We need some dear brothers who have the same. This is where you're going to find them. This is where you're going to find them. Find men, find women for your life that have the same vision for life, that you want to glorify God and enjoy him for forever. And, and listen, this room's a great place to start. Some of you came in here lonely. Some of you, some of you came in here realizing, man, my friend group's not, not what I thought they were. They keep bailing on me. They, they're not here for me. Listen, you may not be, have everything in common with the people in this room if we just go down the list, but what we do have in common is we're following after Jesus together. And so find somebody and just say, hey, can I get to know you? Can we go to lunch? Can we grab coffee? Can we just see how we can pursue this together? The second thing that I noticed out of this final greeting is he addresses this guy, Onesimus. And, and what he's going to do here is he's going to champion his friends. He's going to champion his friends. Onesimus is a really interesting case. So let's read in uh, 4 verse 9. He says, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? Now, Onesimus, if we go back and if we read the letter to Philemon, 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 one of those, what we're going to see is that the Onesimus is a runaway slave. And he's done something, something probably shady where he's like in debt to Philemon. And he runs away. And as he's fleeing, uh, fleeing what he, the, the consequences of what he's done, he encounters Paul. He receives the gospel and he experiences this crazy life, dramatic change, transformation that we would expect when somebody encounters the gospel. And so then Paul writes this letter back to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. He says this in Philemon uh, 1.10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. He's saying, hey, you're gonna forgive him and you're gonna receive him as a brother. And Paul's saying, I have the authority to tell you what to do, but rather I'm gonna appeal to you and try and invite you to just make the right decision on your own. And he says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. Paul takes this guy who has this shady past and he refers to him as, he speaks to him as beloved brother. This, this is what you, you have to have some friends in your life. You have to be the kind of friend in somebody's life that says, I'm not gonna hold you to the past mistakes that you made, but I'm gonna choose to see you according to the faith that, I, that you're living out right now. I'm not gonna hold these past, the world is really good at, at canceling people out, at holding past mistakes that they have done and saying, okay, if you don't, if you fall back into this, like we're gonna get rid of you. But what the gospel says is it says, no, I'm gonna see you as Jesus sees you now and I'm gonna champion my friends. Paul only refers to Onesimus as beloved brother. That should tell us something. Because from the, a status perspective, from a mistakes perspective, from a historical perspective, this dude was way worse than that. Way worse than that. And Paul says, no, he's a beloved brother. You need somebody in your life who's going to champion you as a friend and say, hey, listen, listen, that, that may have been what you did, but that's not who you are. That, that was a mistake that you made then. That does not define you now. Jesus defines you now. We are following after him. You need someone who's going to pick you up when you start to doubt, when you start to question. All of us are going to have moments where we start to kind of question what it is if we're qualified to be doing the things that God's called us to do based on some mistakes we've made in our past. Th that's just what happens. We start to doubt. People like, listen, you talk to enough people and you hear these tendencies where people make big mistakes and their first reaction is to pull away from the church. 
But you need somebody in your life who's going to just champion you and say, hey, I know you made that mistake, but that doesn't define who you are. Come, like, come back in here. Get back in with the household of God. Get back in with this community of believers. We're following after Jesus together. Nobody in this room is perfect. Nobody. Every single person's made mistakes. But when we have good friends that champion us and say, hey, listen, why are you doing that? You're acting below who you're called to be. Like, come on, I'm a, I'm a, listen, do you know who you are? Do you know who God's made you to be? Let's start acting like that. They're going to champion you. They're going to get behind you. The next thing that I see Paul writing to is he has friends that he celebrates with and suffers with. So he writes this in, uh, in verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is also called Justice. So let's just, like, how, how much of a bummer would it be to be that guy? Jesus. Like, he rolls with Paul places, and Paul's preaching the gospel about all the great things that Jesus has done. And, and they're like, what's this guy's name? It's like, Jesus. Like, you're, you're Jesus? And he's like, no, 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 listen, sorry to, like, I just feel like he's, he's like kind of a, probably continually just letting people down. Oh my gosh, you're Jesus? No, 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 he's, he's justice. Just call him justice. Like, it's kind of a bummer. Like, it's kind of like that moment in Space Jam 2. If you haven't seen Space Jam 2, I would just, I would skip it, honestly. It's, it was very poor. Anyways, um, there's a moment there. This is a spoiler, but if you're not going to watch it, it's not that big of a deal. So LeBron's just a terrible actor. Like, let's just, let's just say that. Um, there's this moment where you think, because the, the tune team is down and out, right? And, and they need that moment, right? And, uh, and so they're like Michael Jordan. I got this guy, Michael Jordan, out of the stands. And I was sitting there for a second. Like, I hadn't been paying attention the whole time because I couldn't follow the plot at all. But all of a sudden, it's like, like, they got Michael Jordan to make an appearance in this movie. Like, that's impressive, right? And then in from the, like, dark cave walks Michael B. Jordan, the actor. <laughs> and everyone was like, well, that sucks. You know, it's like, that's a bummer. I just feel like that's what this guy probably dealt with all the time. I don't know why I felt the need to go on that rant, but... In conclusion, probably don't need to watch Space Jam 2, but I digress. This guy, Jesus, who's also called Justice, they, uh, and here's, here's, here's what actually matters, okay? So if, you just, if I lost, you just focus back in. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Here's what Paul's saying. These three guys, they're the only Jewish people who are still ministering with me. And the pain that is wrapped up in this statement is saying, you know who's primarily persecuting and beating and throwing Paul in jail? It's Jewish people. It's his countrymen. It's people that he belonged to. There, there was such deep betrayal and persecution from people that he used to call family. And they were, they were throwing these guys in jail, and there's these three guys who stuck with them. And these three guys, Aristarchus and, and um, Mark and Justice, Jesus, whatever, like they... They were the only three who kept rolling with Paul. And so what that means is they experienced the, the high highs of finding freedom in Jesus. They, they experienced the moment together of salvation, finding Jesus, that he, was, that he was creator and ruler over the law, that the whole law points to him. It's not about all these things that you have to follow perfectly. It's about that the law points to the fact that you are insufficient and that Jesus has saved you despite your insufficiency. And they experienced that joy and that immense, like, just wonder together. They also experienced the uh, exclusion and the beatings and the chains together. Like, the fact that Aristarchus is just this, like, prison buddy of Paul's. Like, he's just like, hey, 
you, you know about Paul, who's always thrown in jail. Aristarchus is like always with him, apparently. She's like, hey, he's my prison mate, my fellow prisoner, my jail buddy, my homie, maybe is what he would say. I don't know. But he's like, these are the guys who've stuck with you through the lowest of lows. And so the question here is like, do you have seasonal friends? Do you have fair weather friends? Do you have relationships in your life where, where they always seem to be there when things are going good, but they always seem to bail when things are going difficultly, they're difficult? Like in, in harvest and in, in drought, do you still have the same friends? I'll tell you this, the people who have been with you through the most embarrassing moments of your life, people who have been with you through the like, toughest times of your life, the people who have stuck with you, those are your dear friends that are willing to celebrate with you and suffer with you. Those are the people that you want to stick with. And, and I'll, listen, as we go through this, the easy way to hear this message is for you to continually say, well, yeah, those friends were never that for me. And I think you've got to hear this message with both ears because uh, to some extent, you, you will look like the people that you hang out with. You just will. You, you will gravitate towards and you will act like and your life will look like the people that you hang, spend the most time with. And so part of this message is a check your circle kind of message. Are you hanging out with people that you shouldn't be hanging out with? Do you need some new friends in your life? But part of this message, the other ear that you have to hear this message, message with is, is the fact that um, if you have a trail of relational carnage in your past, and even if you don't, you have to ask yourself the question, what kind of friend are you being to the people in your life? So don't just hear this message on behalf of another. Hear this for you too. Are you the kind of friend that'll champion your other friends? Are you the kind of friend who is a dear brother? Are you the kind of friend who will stick with somebody come hell or high water? Will that be you? Because that's who Paul is calling us to be. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. You want to find a real friend? Find someone who will show up after the divorce. Find someone who will show up in the middle of the lockdown. Find someone who will show up uh, whatever's going on in your life that is just embarrassing, awkward, weird, and they're still there. Those are the real friends. That's a brother. That's a sister. The next value that Paul has for friends is, is he kind of has this just, I, I didn't know how else to say it. He has this being a student and being a teacher philosophy or paradigm that he just sees the world with. So you got to remember, Paul is, Paul is in chains as he's writing this letter to the city, uh, to the church in Colossae. And the guy who's coming to him is Epaphras. Epaphras was a guy that Paul had uh, given the gospel to. Epaphras received the gospel and, and was a disciple under Paul. But then Epaphras went and he started discipling other people in this church. And so the, the, the most mature form of discipleship is when you are making other disciples. So how do I know if I'm a mature follower of Christ? Well, are you helping other people follow Christ? As simple as you can put it. If you are following after Jesus and you are practicing your apprenticeship to him, then you, that what that means is you ought to be then pouring into another. And what he says with Epaphras, I love just the phrase he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That phrase right there, I have several people that I'm pouring into in my life right now, and I just went, I don't pray for those people enough. Am I struggling for them on, on behalf of them in my prayer? Because my hope, anytime I'm meeting with somebody, is that, that that person that I'm kind of pouring into might just stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. I'm, I'm not just meeting up so we can talk sports. I'm not just meeting up so we can hang. I'm meeting up so hopefully I can give you some bit of wisdom or something that I see off in you so that I can say, hey, listen, um, this is what I think you're missing in your life to stand in more maturity. I want you to grow to full maturity in the Lord. And so this is what it is. And so 
Paul has Epaphras. Paul has Timothy. Timothy, is, he's encouraging him in the same way. He says to Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you're young. Because I think here's what happens is we always assume that the older people have it all figured out and the older people have these relationships with Jesus that we are to follow after. And, and maybe that is, like even looking at some of the faces in this room, some of you all have been following Jesus for 40, 50 years. Like young people in the room, you are going through problems right now that can be prevented if you would just ask some of those people some questions. Because they're perfect? No. Here, here's the deal. You're just surrounded by a bunch of people who have already made the mistakes that you're going to make. And they can show you the scars that are on their life and they can say, hey, don't do it this way. I tried what you're trying and it's going to end in flames. So we got to have this dose of humility where we look to people, maybe they're older, maybe they're younger, and we just say, you seem to have something on your life with your faith, with your walk with the Lord that I want for my life. Can we just sit down and can I ask you some questions? And then older people in the room, Man, some of you, I, I know that the last year has been so isolating and it was so hard as you sat in your nursing home, you sat in your house and the grandkids couldn't come over to visit and, and there was all this just crazy stuff and you felt lonelier than ever. And I just wanna encourage you, there are, there are young people, there are spiritually young people in this room who need the wisdom that rests on your life. And, and maybe we're humble enough to, to know we need someone to help, but we're not courageous enough to ask. And so initiate a conversation with somebody who's younger than you, spiritually, physically, whatever. And just go, hey, can we just grab coffee? To do what? To just talk about life. To start, like, I think I've learned some things. I, want, I just want to share some things. I want to be with somebody. And let's have the humility to be learners. Aren't we always all learning? Has anyone in this room figured it all out yet? Oh, praise God. Me neither. Like we need other people in our life to help speak in with some wisdom. That's what Proverbs 19.20 says. He says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Everyone's like, I want to be wise. I want to make good decisions. I want to be a wise person. Well, there you go. There's the blueprint. Listen to advice, accept instruction. Here's what that verse doesn't mean. It doesn't mean just get enough counselors, enough mentors, enough teachers in your life that so you just finally, when you finally talk to somebody, you'll eventually get the answer you want. It says, get some people who are wise. Paul, Paul writes in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 14. He says, even if you have 10,000 teachers, you don't have many fathers. Be a spiritual father, be a spiritual mother to somebody. And when they come to you and, we, and when we're asking for advice, man, take the counsel of that person. Take the, like, just listen to it. Hear their advice and accept instruction. And that will help you gain wisdom. That will help you gain wisdom. The fifth thing that I noticed out of this letter is that Paul ends it um, with this kind of vision for seeing the local church as friends with one another. So starting in Colossians 4, verse 15. He says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. Laodicea was a neighboring town. It'd be like Fort Collins or Windsor. And to Nympha. Nympha was probably this female. Actually, there's some translation things. They don't know if she was a girl or if he was a boy. Uh, but there was a house church that Nympha had. And um, there's just this house church that Paul's like, hey, pass this letter on to them. He says, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And so what I love here is that Paul just assumes that local churches are friends with one another. And this is, this is where I just want to be as honest as I can in this moment to just say, we are, we are always, always, always 
as long as we remember, unless there's some weird time where we just space it for some reason, we're going to pray for another church in our community when we gather. It's an important aspect for us because we don't, we don't see ourselves as the answer. The church of Jesus Christ is the answer. We're just a, we're just a player on that team. Amen? And so we're, I'm going to be friends with other local pastors. They do things different. They have different strategy. They have different ways they execute than I do. But we're going to be friends because we're on the same team. They might have a different game plan. They might have a different playbook, but we're going to be friends. And the tendency right now, I know that we've had an influx of a lot of people from other churches. And I think that part of what's happened in the last year is there were maybe already cracks in the foundation at your previous church. And maybe, maybe there's been something that's happened throughout COVID where you realize, nope, this isn't the place for us to be. And, and I, I hope you approach that with a lot of humility in your heart. And I have a lot of graciousness towards you because listen, we've been the church that's been ebbing where people have been leaving and we've been the church where people are flowing to. And here's, here's what I know is that as long as there is uh, comparison in our hearts for other churches in the community, as long as there's kind of this conceit that thinks we have it all figured out here, and as long as there's just this attitude or this posture that lacks humility, we're gonna lose. We're gonna, maybe we're not gonna lose, like the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I don't mean we're gonna lose big picture, but what we're gonna lose is like, if we spend all of our time comparing or complaining, we're missing the fact that that's time that could be allocated towards serving or towards witnessing. You see what I'm saying? And so listen, if you, if you found your plant here, if something happened in another church and you're here, uh, listen, I, I hope you at least talked with your pastor. I hope you at least shared with them what was going on, shared some concerns that were on your heart. And if you're going to make your land here, if you're going to make your plant here, then my, my request is this, plant here. If you're going to be here, then be here. Be relationally embedded here. There are people in your row that you maybe don't know. Take someone out to coffee. Get to know some friends. Like the local church should be on the same team. We, we care for and we love for you. And if you're, if you're just waiting to kind of put your feet down until you find a local church, here, I'll just I lovingly will tell you this. Charles Spurgeon said this, so I can say it as well. Um, like if you just wait until you find a local church and then you start going to that church that's perfect, well, then as soon as you join it, it's, it's not perfect anymore. You tracking with that? That goes for me too. If this church was perfect, then I came in here. Guess what? It's no longer perfect because there are no perfect people. And so I don't know if we're going to make you mad in three seconds, in six months, or in three years, but like this, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. But, but man, we are going to lift up and care for and pray for and be on team local church. Amen? Amen. The last point, and this is, there's no slide for it because I just kind of realized it was the last point this morning in prayer, is this last little line here in 417. He says, Archippus, see to it that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And when you read this, it's kind of like, man, that, that would almost be like the equivalent of, of being like, Katie Dykeman, listen, hey, do what the Lord's called you to do. You know what I mean? Like, because you got to keep in mind, this is a letter that was, was sent by Paul. Epaphras brings it. He gathers the church. They read it all. And all of a sudden, like a Tanner Miller is getting a shout out in the sermon. And so Tanner Miller's like, well, gosh, like what, what, me? Like, why not everybody else? Here's the point. Here's why I think that's in there. Because each of us are that person. Each of you have been given, if you are following after Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to him, each of you have been given a ministry that you are called to fulfill. And here's what good friends are going to do. Good friends are going to continually steer you and orient you towards that ministry, towards Jesus, towards the goal, towards the prize. And when they see you stumbling, they're going to reach back and they're going to pull you along. When they see you kind of dragging your wagon and getting a little lethargic, getting a little passive, they're going to pat you on the rear end and say, let's go. Sorry, I said rear end. All right, that was a little weird. 
I don't know, I didn't really know what to say there. But anyways, <laughs> good friends are gonna good friends are gonna stop with you when you need to just stop and catch your breath. Good friends are gonna celebrate with you. They're gonna run with you when it's time to run. They're gonna go with you when it's time to go. Like the way that we're gonna push forward in our faith, that we're gonna pursue after Jesus and, and put to death what's still earthly in me and put on the life that's found in him is, is gonna be shoulder to shoulder with good friends, good relationships. And so my invitation for everyone today is just to find some, to find some. Like get, get in these rows, meet with some people, go to the next Connect lunch, do something, get in a group with somebody, take someone to lunch, do whatever it takes to get connected to somebody because we need good friends. Good friends are in short supply in the world we're living in, but you're sitting in a room that I'm sure, like y'all are a little weird sometimes. Y'all got your own stuff that makes you a little awkward probably. I'm just saying like, no offense, me too. I've got some of that stuff from my heart too. But like we're, all, like, we're following after Jesus and that, that vision for my life, even if you think a little differently on this issue, if you, if you talk a little different than I do, if, you, if you're a little awkward sometimes when we hang out, listen, as long as we're following after Jesus together, and you're helping shoulder this with me, and we're going together, we're running in the same lane together, that's who I want to surround my life with. I think too often we make the excuse, well, Jesus hung out with sinful people, you know? Yeah, Jesus did hang out with sinful people. I'm not saying you can't have friends that are sinful. But what I am saying is that Jesus also did not sin, and he called people to repentance and to deeper faith. And so if you're rolling with people who are causing you to stumble, um, then, then don't use that excuse, please. If you're, but if you're falling after people and you're, you're involved in people's lives who aren't walking with the Lord and you want to challenge them, you want to call them into deeper faith, man, by all means, do it. If it's not causing you to stumble, get in there. But also, you're going to need in your life some people who are following after Jesus with you. Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand and let's pray. I want to just give a space, I think, for maybe some of you to respond. Maybe some of you you're, you're coming and you're not, the ultimate friendship that you need to lock down is friendship with Jesus. And maybe like what you need to do is you just need to get your yes on the table with him. And then once you, once you set your mind, set your heart, set your desire towards him, now all of a sudden you can have a bunch of family and friends and dear friends in this room. But, but that can't really happen until you, like Demas, get, get, your, get one foot out of the world and just put both feet into the kingdom and start going for him. It doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. Doesn't mean you're never going to stumble, but you need to you need to get your surrender on the table. And so let's let's pray, Jesus. If there's anyone in the room who's who's maybe been tagging along with church, coming into church, but they haven't given their full heart to you yet, I just want to give them this moment right now to say, God, I am laying my life down for you. God, I, I just I take my will and my desire for my life, and I just submit it to you, and I say, I don't want anything that you don't want, and I only want for my life what you want for my life. Jesus, right now, I just, we give ourselves to you. And Lord, for all of us in this room who, who have already made a, a life out of following Jesus, and maybe we've drifted into some loneliness, maybe we've drifted into the spot where we, we feel like we have, are you kidding me? I have, I have all these kids to take care of. I have all these things that I'm doing. When am I gonna make time for friends? God, would you just help bring clarity to the relationships that we need to have in our life? It doesn't mean we're gonna be friends with everybody. Doesn't mean we're gonna have the bandwidth to entertain every single person that comes along, but God, would you give us the deep, life-giving relationships that our soul needs, that our faith needs to keep pushing forward, to keep running after you. God, I pray for good friends in this church. I, I pray for laughter. I pray for rejoicing. I pray for weeping when it's time to weep. I pray for friends, pray for friends who would just get into life with one another. 
And we'll just say, hey, I'm, I'm with you. Would, would we be a place where people can come and encounter you, follow after you, and then be surrounded by a family who just wants to do that with us, God? We love you, Jesus. And this is our heart's desire. This is our heart's cry, is to honor and glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.